spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. time of year where you're probably taking a lot of pictures. It's episode 296 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. The reason I say that is we just happen to have a certain photog from The Flash with us this week. Victoria Park, who plays Camilla on The Flash. That's right, the better half of Cisco Ramon. So we'll talk to her about, you know, what might be going on post-crisis. You know, does Cisco have his powers back? And how is Camilla going to feel about that? We'll get in to all of that stuff, of course, but The Flash doesn't even come back until February 4th of 2020, so we got a little ways to wait, so we'll, we'll tease ahead to that. Also, my review of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker not happening this week because I want to give it a little bit more time so I can give a spoiler-filled review. I want to give you time to see it. I know it's a busy time of year, so we're going to be talking about Stephen and Robbie Amell's Code 8 movie this week. Plenty of spoilers for that ahead. But that doesn't mean there won't be any Star Wars talk. We'll kick it off with a Star Wars comic and what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm Haley Mancini. And I'm Jake Goldman. And we are writers for the Powerpuff Girls. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah. Whether you're stuffing your comics in bags and boards with care or if you're just praying that your digital cloud is still going to be there. Whatever you're reading on this week, it's time for what we're reading. And yeah, I am going to do a little bit of Star Wars this week. How about Star Wars Rise of Kylo Ren, number one from Marvel Comics, with Charles Soule doing the writing there, Will Sliney on the art, Guru EFX on the colors, and VCs Travis Lanham on the letters. Now, I love the cover, by the way, by Clayton Crane, and the art throughout this book is just absolutely Amazing. So, I mean, just for the art alone, this one is going to catch your eye if you are a Star Wars fan. There's been a lot of great art in these Star Wars books. I, I would put this one up against any of them so far, though. I, I just really, really enjoyed the art in this book. And I can tell you that this story, basically, it does follow some canon because we're talking about what happens right after, and this is a little bit of a Star Wars spoiler if you haven't seen Last Jedi, which if you haven't, come on. I mean, yeah. I, I know I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm saying it just in case, okay? Because I don't, I typically don't spoil things in comic book reviews, but I have to tell you what the story's about. This basically covers a lot of what happens right after Luke Skywalker tries to kill Kylo Ren in his sleep. Basically, we pick up right after the explosion. That's where things get picked up, and we get to see, you know, where Kylo goes, what Kylo is going to be doing. We also get to see there might be more to it than we expected. There might be more characters involved there. Now, what the interesting part about this book is, is that, and again, this, this is a testament to how good the art is. There's certain facial expressions, right, that you give Kylo in this book that makes you consider or reconsider intent. And once you read this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, and that's been kind of a question of Kylo Ren from the beginning, right? Like, where is his head at, really? And that definitely plays a big role in this book as well. But it's funny because who he goes to see 
after this happens is very, very interesting. And we get to see this particular character that you will recognize from this new trilogy of movies in a completely different light. And I mean completely. It's almost like it's not the same person. That I, mean, I had to look a couple times and be absolutely 100% sure that this is who I was seeing. And then towards the end of the book, Kylo actually says something that makes you go, ah, so we're finally going to tackle that, huh? And it makes you wonder even more how much of a part of Rise of Skywalker this is going to be. And, and again, this is one of those things you totally understand once you read the book. Now, how much does this actually add to the larger story? Because when you're doing something like this, you're kind of servicing the material that's already out there. And that is kind of a dangerous little game. But I think I think it lends something. It, again, it's just one issue. So the totality of the work might actually do really well to fill in that gap of time between when Kylo basically leaves after the explosion and eventually becomes, you know, Kylo Ren and, you know, Lee goes to the dark side. This is almost like the story of Kylo Ren and and Ben Solo, quite frankly, going into the dark side. And that is exactly what we're doing here. So I'm going to give this a pull because I'm really excited to see where the story can go. But if it drags on too long or if it drags at all, I might change my rating on it. But so far, I'm excited. I'm going to keep the optimistic, positive frame of mind on this one because I think it's definitely on the right track. Here's something that's on a completely different track and and it's you know kind of that way on purpose and that is Wonder Woman Dead Earth number one from DC's Black Label. So this time Wonder Woman gets the Black Label treatment which means you know it's a little bit more adult, a little bit more intense and that by the way is written by Daniel Warren Johnson who also does the art in this book. Mike Spicer on the colors, and Russ Wooten on the letters. Now, here's the deal. Basically, we've got Diana who is a very has a very very different look. That much I can I I can tell you for sure. It's a much more rugged, almost like a cavewoman type look to her. And I mean, you want to talk about battle worn? She is absolutely. 100% battle-worn in this book. But, you know, not not the entire book. I will tell you that much. For some reason, she is in a time that she is not familiar with, is the best way that I could put it. And something has happened to the Earth. Something catastrophic. So bad, in fact, that we get to see another DC hero in a way that... I don't think we've really ever or rarely ever seen this particular DC hero before. And it's it's kind of jarring. And you immediately know that it comes to a point in this book where you immediately know where she is. Because if you're a fan at all, you'll know exactly where she is. And then once you see the the thing I'm talking about, it's like you never thought you'd ever see that kind of thing. That That's the best way that I can really describe it. Without spoiling anything, but then what? I mean, when you're kind of a fish out of water, fish out of time type of situation, you're waking up into a world where other people have been kind of living it the entire time, right? So the world has changed 
and now she has to find some new allies or they have to find her one way or another because what's happened to the world has created a whole different kind of threat and it's pretty darn nasty to actually. Now the one thing that this book does not really do it kind of hints to wanting to answer this question but we don't really get any movement in that in this first issue and that is how what what exactly happened to the world and what led it to be the way it is now. There is a story told by one of the characters that's been living in this life for a while and, and they say that well Here's kind of what we know about what happened. But the story specifically stays vague on this. As a matter of fact, even saying that the characters themselves don't exactly know what happened and how things went down. So, we as the reader are not the only ones that are in the dark on this. You've also got characters in the actual story that don't really know what happened to make things are the the reason that the, the way they, they are right now. So... That That is a little bit confusing, and there is intrigue there, but to me the intrigue is more of where does Diana go from here? Because what we do is we get to see Diana being the Diana Prince and the Wonder Woman that we all love, the one that never gives up, the one that always wants to try and make sure she can do the right thing and save everyone. And you get that great feeling when you're reading this book about if you love Wonder Woman for those reasons— you're definitely going to love what you see in this, but you're going to see a very different, again, a very, very different Wonder Woman, a very different Diana of Themyscira, because she is battle-worn, and she is, you'd think, rested and refreshed. And you'll understand why I say that once you read the book, but, I mean, she is just, she's very tattered and torn. It almost looks like she's she woke up, and she's been through hell, and then she ends up in a whole other hell. So this is, again, something that you don't necessarily see, a situation you don't see Wonder Woman put in very often. So for that reason alone, I'm going to make this one a poll as well. I want to find out more about what's going on with Wonder Woman Dead Earth, book one from DC's Black Label. That's going to do it for what we're reading this week. Up next, we'll talk about Code 8, the brand new sci-fi movie, from Stephen and Robbie Mellon. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Clarissa Tebow from Marvel's Runaways, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. What would you do if you had to keep your powers in check? So here we go. This is the long-anticipated movie from Stephen Amell and Robbie Amell, the kickstart of the Indiegogo campaign that was so, so successful. Code 8 is finally here, and I'm going to go ahead and give my spoiler-filled review this week, so yep, spoilers from here on out. If you haven't seen Code 8 yet, fast forward a little bit ahead because, yeah, I'm going to be dropping some serious spoilers. What I'm not going to do is tell you shot for shot, plot for plot, what this movie is about. But I can tell you that it's basically, you've got, what's interesting about this movie right off the bat is, is that you have people with abilities that, that there's kind of like a, a history clip at the beginning and you see that people with abilities have been known throughout history and actually used throughout history like like in in factories and things like that to kind of speed up the process make things easier and then when you, there was sort of an industrial revolution and automation and and assembly lines and stuff were created suddenly people with powers 
weren't needed anymore and they were shoved aside and they were having trouble finding work and, and, and that led to certain things. And then there was a drug that was a create that was created. And this drug is actually made from the spinal fluid of people with powers, which is pretty demented and actually really, really interesting. We don't really actually get into exactly what the drug does, but it doesn't matter because it plays such a larger part in the story that getting deep into what the drug actually does doesn't wouldn't actually lend itself to the story that's being told because this is a very personal story, especially for Robbie Amell's character of Connor. And the, the one thing I love about Code 8 is that the story is very, very simple. It's not overly complicated for the sake of being overly complicated. You see people with powers and they're having a rough time in their lives. They don't feel like they should be, you know, for the most part, there's, there's plenty of people with powers that don't feel like they should have any difficulties, but then you have Robbie Mel's Connor Reed and it's very simple for him. He just wants to save his mother. His mother is, is basically dying as a result of what's happening to her and her powers. They can't afford the medical treatment. And again, he's having a hard time finding work. He's trying to get odd jobs and you know, the police departments in, in the city that they're in, it doesn't help. They they very much are trying to, you know, you're supposed to register your powers. And, that, and that's a little bit X-Men-like, but that's another thing I want to squash right now. If you think that you see Code 8 and you're thinking, okay, yeah, angry mutants, angry people with powers. And, you know, th- you know, some of them will turn to a life of crime and some of them won't. And it's going to be them versus the government, blah, blah, blah. It's not that at all. I was actually thinking there was going to be a lot of X-Men vibes in this, and there really, really wasn't what this what Code Eight really feels like is a more true to life version of this type of situation of someone that has powers. It takes obviously it takes some creative liberties because it's still a story of fiction, but it feels more grounded than what you would normally see in this genre because you're dealing with people with real life. Problems, and and then you look at Stephen Amell's Garrett character, who's kind of the one that lures Connor into this life of crime. We saw that in the trailer already, anyway. But what you see with Garrett is he's it's it's very simple for him too. He just wants to be respected, and he wants his basically, for lack of a better term, his fair share. He wants to be recognized for the hard work and the grunt work that he's done, and he wants to be the man, or at least you know he wants to be treated. As an equal, and part of that is because part of that is a as a reflection of how society is treating people with powers anyway. And Garrett's very frustrated with that. So when he doesn't get the respect that he thinks he deserves from Sutcliffe, who's his boss, played by Greg Greg Burke, he also kind of pushes his luck a little bit there towards the end. You see him kind of get greedy a little bit, and Connor says that as well with the deal that they try to make to to save Connor's mom. And that's when, you know, Sutcliffe basically, again, spoiler alert, ends up turning on Garrett and everybody else, too, for that matter. And he loses part of his crew and a crew that's been with him with Garrett for a while. And that's the other thing that I liked about this movie, actually, was that there were moments of frustration for me where I'm like, why on earth would Garrett and Connor think that Sutcliffe, who is a desperate man he's actually trying to stay alive never mind anything else why would you even think for a second that you could trust this dude 
And basically, who he's who he has with him is a healer named Nia, and she's kind of an addict. She's with him basically to help heal his ailments, and in return, she gets you know the the drugs that are available that 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 he's selling, and she can have her high. And there's a reason that she's doing that. But that again, we don't get into too much. But I'll I'll talk about that here in just a second of why that's not really a big deal. What the main focus of this story is on Connor as it should be, not just him saving his mother, but how you can see that the best of us can be pushed to a point where you have to do what you have to do to survive, given the circumstances that you're in. Connor, at his core, is is a good person. We see that at the end of this movie, too, where where he finds out something about Nia and she, he wants her to heal his mom, but he sees the toll that it takes on her, so he stops her, and his mom actually, again, spoiler alert, dies as a result of it. You see Connor making the right choice at the end of the day, but you also see how a good man like that can be pushed to his limit when he's in a desperate situation and really, really needs to, for the lack of a better term, just make money. To be able to do what he needs to do. So that that is a very main part of this story. The other thing I was kind of concerned about going in was that we were going to get a lot of stories about, you know, police misconduct and police brutality. And we don't really get that either. I mean, there there is some of that, obviously, but it's, you also have the two sides of the coin being played from the from the police perspective with Agent Park, who's played by Sung Kang. And then you also have a familiar face for blind spot fans. In Davis, who's another detective who's played by Aaron Abrams, who was kind of the head of the, he played the head of the FBI for about a season and a half on Blindspot. And he was kind of like the, the, a shady guy there too, where you always kind of hated him because he would always, you know, do things that you didn't like that, that were against your favorite character. And he very much plays that role in Code 8 as well, especially when he's interrogating Robbie Amell. That's a great scene for me because it really makes your blood boil, right? It's like, I hate this dude. But again, you see like the two cops are playing both sides of the coin a little bit, whereas you have one that wants to go the more honest route and and one that wants to say, hey, you know, let's just cut some corners and get this thing over with. And that's interesting. And there's just so many interesting aspects of that. And again, this is, it feels more true to life rather than forcing a narrative. And that is the best compliment that I can give to Code 8. And I haven't even talked about the action yet. The action sequences are very, very cool in most of the spots. I love the electric powers that Robbie Amell's Connor character has. Stephen Amell's powers, when he uses them, they feel like they are very impactful. There are moments where things just go wrong in this movie, and... They go wrong because that's life. And again, true to life is the best way that I can put... As true to life as a movie can be when you're talking about people with powers. And and, and again, the, the police force, what they have assisting them, the police do, they're, you think they're sentinels, they're really not sentinels. They're, they're, sure, they're robots, but they're not really sentinels. They're, they're basically robots built to kind of deal with people with powers, but they're almost like stormtroopers because they're not super great at their job, as you can see when you're watching this movie. So 
one of the other best compliments you can give a movie like this is that it doesn't lean into action, action, action. It doesn't lean into a bunch of splashy effects, which the, the effects are really darn good, I gotta say. I'm not even gonna say the effects were good for a lower budget movie because I think that's kind of a smack in the face. I just think the effects were good, period. They were what they needed to be. They didn't go above and beyond what they needed to be. It was almost like, you, you know, you see shows and movies kind of waste money on certain effects. Like, did we really need to take it there when you don't need to? And it would have felt out of place if they took those effects to a different level in a movie that's so grounded. And so I'm going to keep saying this and so true to life in its story that if you overdo it with the special effects, it's going to take away from the authenticity of the story that they're trying to tell here. But with all these characters that we get introduced to in Code 8, whether it, whether it be Nia or, or, or Maddie, who we, who we get to see not quite enough of, quite frankly, because I thought that she did a very good job, and, and, and Garrett, and all of these other characters, and even the, even we also get a little bit of backstory on Agent Park's character, as well, that's why I'm glad they're going to be doing this this series, this spinoff series on Quibbly, because I want to know more about these characters. And again, that's what you want from any kind of movie, independent or otherwise. You want to finish watching it and say, I want to learn more about this, or I need more of this story. And that's exactly how I felt when I was done watching Code 8. It was it the greatest movie in the world? No. Was it really great to see Robbie Mill and Stephen Amell on screen together? Yes, their chemistry obviously really, really good and off the charts. It made you, it kept you guessing in certain parts. There were also certain parts where you kind of saw what was coming. Basically, if I were to sum this up, and I'm not, I don't really give ratings when I talk about stuff like this anymore. If you like a true-to-life sci-fi story that doesn't want to overdo it, and just wants to tell its story and be character-driven, then you will love Code 8. Give this movie a chance, because I don't think you'll be sorry that you did. If you're a Stephen Amell or Robbie Amell fan, you've probably already given this movie a chance. But can I just say this, too? Put, put Robbie Amell in more things. He's such a talented guy. And matter of fact, I don't know why they haven't found some way to bring back his Ronnie Raymond Firestorm. I have no idea why they haven't been able to voodoo that together in the Arrowverse and bring Robbie Amell back, because I think that would be a cool little addition. And maybe we'll see in the last couple of episodes of Crisis. I sort of doubt it at this point, but you never know. Cast Robbie Amell in more things because he's super talented. He's not getting enough attention. I know we'll see Stephen Amell in more amazing things in the future. I'm not worried about that. I want to see more of Robbie as well, because the more we get of the Amell family, I think the better off that we are because they just pour their heart and soul into everything that they do. And I just love that. That's going to do it for my spoiler filled review of Code 8, which you can get your digital retailers right now, as a matter of fact. Up next, yeah, even though the holidays are here, there's still some nerd news to talk about on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hi, this is Cass Anvar, Alex Kamal from The Expanse, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Stay tuned. Sounds like Netflix just gave me an early Christmas present. It's time for nerd news. And yeah, I'm going to lead off with this. You shouldn't be surprised if you've listened to this show before. And that is that Netflix and Mattel have added another 
He-Man series. That's right. They're good. You, yeah, it, this is not the Kevin Smith one. That's what I'm trying to tell you is that Masters of the Universe Revelation is the anime series that's going to be happening from Kevin Smith. This particular series is going to be a CG animation style that's going to be done by House of Cool and CG CG. Rob David's going to be involved, who's also involved in Revelation, which I think is really, really interesting. We're going to have Adam Bonnet and Christopher Keenan also as producers on this as well. No voice cast or release date yet, but I think this is interesting that Netflix is going all in with He-Man. We've already got She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, which has not had He-Man crossover into that show at all, other than the villain Hordak is in that and but it but they you know it makes sense in that story so to have now a second he-man series is really really interesting to me and we don't really know a whole lot about it other than that other than the poster that we saw which looks like quite frankly pretty awesome if i'm being honest and it's just a little little bit but i'm i'm interested to find out tonally what we're going to be talking about here exactly what kind of a series are we going to be looking forward to? Is it going to be another series that's slanted towards adults? Is it going to be more towards kids? Is it going to kind of toe the line a little bit? I wouldn't actually be surprised if it toes the line because you know the anime series is going to be super adult. It's going to be super intense. And and I absolutely have no problem with that. I think that's going to be great. And I wouldn't be surprised if this brand new He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, it's not really being called a reboot either. And I've seen a few places call it a reboot. It's not really, I don't think, going to be a reboot. I just think it's going to be its own thing. But if they decide to make it a reboot, I'm wondering, is there going to be some of the campiness and, you know, kind of not not necessarily intentional comedy is that will be a part of this series? I'm not really sure which way they're going to go, but I actually think it will kind of service both crowds. I think we'll get some stuff for adults, some some stuff for kids. I think She-Ra and the Princesses of Power actually do, does a pretty good job with that already so if tonally it was similar to that in in the way that they approach it I mean it's not going to be similar in, in storyline or anything like that I mean because they're, they're telling a completely different kind of story on She-Ra and the Princesses of Power and I love the fact that they're doing that what I'm saying is is that if they make it so adults enjoy it and kids enjoy it at the same time and it's something that kids can quite frankly safely watch and, you know, kids of a certain age anyway, I don't think that that would necessarily be a bad thing. And I think Netflix is really trying to do that with their, a lot of their animation anyway. You see that with the new Fast and Furious animated series that they're going to be bringing out. I think that one's going to toe the line a little bit as well. Because I think Netflix is trying to find stuff for more broader audiences. And, you know, with different IPs and he, and He-Man being one that has a lot of story that can be told. Why not? Do that, but quite frankly, I mean, you know, I'm a He-Man fan. I'm gonna be good either way. You want to make this for adults? I'm I'm gonna watch it. You want to make this just for kids? I'm gonna watch it. But if you want to go both, I'm definitely gonna be okay with that. So let's see where this goes. I'm very interested to find out more information once it gets released, and I'll update you when I get a chance. Speaking of updating, got an update for you on the Superman Red Sun animated movie that's gonna be coming out from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. And DC Animation. Yes, we do finally have a trailer of what's going to be going on with the Soviet Superman. By the way, going to be available on Digital HD on February the 25th. And the 4K Ultra Combo Pack and a Blu-ray Combo Pack on March the 17th. So there's your release dates for you. You know, you see the trailer. And first of all, the first time you hear Superman speak with that Soviet accent, 
it's like it, it was a little jarring. Honestly, I mean, if you, even if you've read the graphic novel, you, you kind of know the story or, or a little bit of the story, the Elseworlds story, that, then it's it's not surprising to see him that way, but to hear it come out, that's when it kind of becomes a little bit more real, right? And speaking of tone, this one feels like it's got that eerie kind of dark tone. And I mean, that, you know, it certainly holds true for the graphic novel, but it's got that little bit of uncomfortableness to it in the trailer throughout, I think, which is really, really cool. And I love, love, love the costume designs so far, the animation designs that are in this movie so far. I mean, especially when you see the Lantern Corps in the in the in this trailer. I loved what they did with them. I love the design of the Ren Sun Superman suit and everything. It's it's to me it's spot on. I love it. But you kind you kind of got to figure that they're going to take some liberties, right? Because even if you watch the other the other Elseworlds story they did Gotham by Gaslight, which I thought was fantastic by the way. I loved it, especially when I got to go to the premiere. I think that was a couple of years ago. Actually, maybe two, three years ago. Something like that. Anyway, I digress. I, I think that they're going to certainly take some certain some liberties and not do exactly what they do in the graphic novel. We certainly saw that with Batman Hush. If you saw that, they certainly took some liberties with that. And maybe you loved him for it, maybe you didn't. I think that we're going to see some differences, especially in the way the final chapter of this goes down. I think that's where they'll change a little bit of it. But quite frankly, I'm excited to see what they do when they tell the story. And I'm quite frankly excited for this voice cast that they've got going on because you've got Jason Isaacs, who's going to be playing Red Sun Superman, which, I mean, I think that that's a really, really cool choice. Not only is he a great actor, but he does a great job with the accent, you got Diedrich Bader is going to be Lex Luthor. Amy Acker is going to be Lois Lane. Vanessa Marshall, love to see her back in the DC Universe. She's going to be Wonder Woman. And our buddy Roger Craig Smith, who's been on the show before as well, is going to be the voice of Batman. And Sasha Royce is going to be Hal Jordan. I don't want to go through the entire cast. There's some familiar names on here as well that you've seen in other DC animation movies and, and of course, you know other animation projects as well. It's, it's certainly an all-star cast. There's no question about that. And this is one that I think has been on the list for DC fans to to have made. And I know that maybe you were hoping there was going to be a live-action version of this. Supergirl did the Red Daughter storyline, and I thought they did that pretty well. They didn't really get a chance to focus on it as much as I would have liked. So I love that we're going to get the Superman Red Sun full-length animated movie out of this. We can really dig into that story a little bit more. And I'm excited for this one, even though I know that they're going to change some things up, which I'm totally okay with. I'm really excited for this one. Speaking of things that I'm excited for, and I'm actually stunned that I didn't think about them ever doing this, and that is that IDW and Dark Horse Comics have announced that they're going to be making a Transformers versus the Terminator comic book series that's going to be coming out in March of 2020. How has this not been done until now? I know I say that sometimes, but seriously, how has no one thought to do this? Until now, and I love that Hasbro and and Dark Horse and and IDW are getting together to do this, and they are not messing around. You've got David Mariotti who's going to be involved in this, John Barber as well with the writing, Alex Milne is going to be the artist on this, Tom Waltz will be contributing. I mean, all we really know is that it revisits the concepts of alien invasion and time-traveling resistance fighters, but with twists them but to but, but twist them in unexpected ways that's kind of the only thing that we got out of this but there's also a quote in here from Alex Milne 
that I think was very, very interesting. And he was kind of saying, I'll paraphrase this, he's talking about how, you know, Optimus, Optimus Prime would find a way to foil Megatron's plans was kind of a big part of the, of the Transformers story. And then he came across Terminator and was amazed by the idea of a robot pretending to be a human. Now, I took the, I thought about that quote and I was like, that could be a major part of this story. And, and I think that that could be an interesting angle that you could take on this, of course, I think, you know, often versus comics don't end up actually being versus comics. They end up being team team ups. This to me feels like it's absolutely 100 percent going to be a versus series. And will we see the Terminator get involved with the Decepticons at all? There's a variant cover that suggests that maybe that might be the case or that the Decepticons might actually try to take control of the Terminator. I don't know. I mean, just, this just feels like. A really, really cool idea. And I know we've gotten a lot of these comic book crossovers. But this one, to me, I think is going to be a really, really neat idea. And it is going to be a mini-series, by the way. March of 2020, when I get a firm release date on that for you. Check back down in nerdypodcast.com. And I'll make sure I have that up. And, you know, maybe we'll get a chance to chat with the creative team about that. Because this is a super interesting one that I really, really am looking forward to reading. Before I wrap up nerd news, we move on to our interview this week. I just wanted to say, even though I'm not reviewing Star Wars Rise of the Skywalker this week, I want to preface my comments with something that I think is really, really important. Because while I am not reviewing it this week, I want to make sure that I give you enough time to see it so we can do full spoilers for my for my review. I want to just touch on something that I'm seeing a lot on social media and seeing a lot in... In, in some reviews, too, not, and I'm not going to name names, but whether you like the movie or not, I think you it's really important to not dump on anybody that likes the movie or dump on anybody that didn't like the movie. I mean, if somebody likes something or doesn't like something, everything's subjective to all of us, right? And I feel like this is something that needs to be said because I remember growing up and feeling like I had to hide the things that I love, comic books and, and, and science fiction and things like that, because I would get picked on and I would get bullied for it and I would get ridiculed for it. And I think that there's a lot of fans that because comic book culture and everything has become so mainstream and has become so popular, whether that be because of the Marvel movies or whatever reason you want to give for that, I won't get into that right now. But whatever reason you want to give, it's become so mainstream and so popular that that there's a certain generation of fans that didn't necessarily have to go through what some of the rest of us went through. And I remember those days. And what I guess I'm trying to say here is, is that we don't need to tear each other down. You know what I'm saying? We don't need if somebody liked something that you didn't like, you could certainly discuss it. You could certainly have debates over even heated debates. But don't dump on someone for liking something that you didn't like, and don't dump on someone for not liking something that you really liked either. I mean, it really works both ways. So, you know, I say be good to your fellow nerds at the end of every podcast. I really, really mean it because I think that the Star Wars fandom has gotten so toxic with the since The Force Awakens came out. It seems like The Mandalorian was that happy place, right, where we could all agree, you know, Baby baby Yoda's cute and this show's been done so well. And then the vitriol comes back out with Rise of Skywalker. So just remember, when you see this movie, whether you love it, whether you don't love it, maybe you're on the fence about it, you want to talk to your friends and go on social media and talk to other fans about it, just I implore you that just remember what it was like 
when we had we felt like we had to hide who we were because we got bullied for it. Don't bully your fellow fans. We should be a loving community. So please just try and respect the opinions of others. Have those heated debates. But always, always, always respect the fact that someone liked something you didn't or vice versa. And that is what we should always be thinking about. So hopefully we can do that. That's going to do it for Nerd News this week. Up next, going to be talking about The Flash with a very surprised character that's been sticking around and been doing quite well, actually, been a big part of the season. We're going to talk to Victoria Park, who plays Camilla on the show, next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is voice actor Roger Craig Smith, and you guys are listening, you lucky people, to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And we're back. Well, you know, we've been dealing with a little bit of a crisis here in the Arrowverse, but there will be a post-crisis world, and I'm thinking that she will probably be a big part of that. We're talking about Cisco's, let's quite, let's just face facts, better half here. It's Camilla Victoria Park. How you doing? Hi, thank you. That is so nice of you to say. I would like to think that as well. Well, I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious at this point. Actually, we've gotten to see a lot of Camilla's role expand more and more since she first met Cisco. When you were first cast, did you know that would be the case, that you'd be sticking around for a while? Oh, my gosh, no. It's been, uh, it's been the best surprise, I'll have to say. When I first got cast, I believe they didn't even use real sides, they, um, audition sides. They just wrote kind of a quick little scene, and when I was talking to one of the producers afterwards, she had said that they basically just wrote something to see how I would interact with Cisco, and then they were looking for someone who would be able to just vibe, no pun intended. No, I like, I, I like what uh, you did there. That's, that fits the show perfectly. I love that. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I mean, they had told me two, maybe three episodes, no promise of another season, and we've just continued from there. So it's been a really nice surprise, and uh, yeah, it's been great. What's cool, too, is The Flash is a show that features a lot of strong women. How did you feel joining a cast of such amazing, not just cast members, but characters as well? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been awesome. I love that there are so many strong women on the show, and I love that I'm able to portray one of them. I think, you know, when you're coming in as a character who's supposed to be a romantic interest to one of the main characters, you kind of run the risk of being just someone's side piece or just, you know, just being there to serve this main character and I think it's so amazing that um, the writers have given Camilla more than just that storyline you know I think she's there to support Cisco but she also has her own dreams and passions and job and to be hired on an Iris paper and to be working on Team Citizen with other strong women Um, it's been such a great storyline to have and a really you know huge gift to an actor Um, it's been really fun to play. It's funny that you mentioned The Citizen, because that was actually my next question, and that it seems like you all kind of have your own team going on there at The Citizen. Does it really feel like that to, the, the way, that way to you, too? Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't tease too much about it, but, you know, we do have, um, I believe it was in Episode 7, where Team Citizen kind of takes off, and you get that epic hero shot um, with the three women at the car that got blown up, and... Um, I think we're definitely teasing it for a reason. So post-crisis, I hope that you'll see a lot more of Team Citizen. Um, I love that right now it's a team of all women. I don't know if they're planning on adding more people to that team, you know, as the paper continues to grow. But for right now, I love that we've got what we do. Most definitely. Now, recently we actually saw Cisco almost take the fall for a crime he didn't commit. But Camilla believed in him 
really even when he doubted himself, didn't believe in himself, what do you think makes them have such a strong bond? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I, um, you know, in between season five and six, there was that gap of time that summer um, where a lot of things happened off camera. And I like to think that in that gap of time, um, you know, Cisco obviously gave up his uh, vibe um, powers and um, there was a lot that needed to be worked through in that time. So I feel like that was something that really brought them together, um, him being able to work through that with Camilla and also being able to share everything that he hadn't been able to share when he was afraid to tell her that he was five. Um, that was probably a huge monument in their relationship and something that really brought them together. Um, so moving forward into season six, I think they already have this foundation of, um, you know, communication and, you know, you have your back or you have my back and I have yours. Um, so that really set them up for that one episode um, where she really believed in him even when she didn't believe in himself. Talking to Victoria Park, who plays Camilla on The Flash. We'll see The Flash return with new episodes on February the 4th. Now, Victoria, speaking of that bond, and you were just talking about those vibe powers, we actually see Cisco actually gets his vibe powers back from the monitor during Crisis on Infinite Earth. So without spoiling anything and assuming he actually keeps those powers, how do you think Camilla is going to feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously no spoilers, but um, we have seen throughout Cisco's thriving and the best that he can be. So if Cisco decides that that is what's best for him, um, to keep those powers or to not, I can only assume that she would be supportive of whatever he chooses. There's one thing I really love about Camilla's character, and that is that she's so cool under pressure. I mean, I was I was especially surprised at how <laughs> she was kind of able to handle herself surrounded by all those, you know, blood work infected people in the, in that building with with Cecile. How do you feel like yeah. she's able to keep her cool so well? Oh my gosh! You know, your guess is as good as mine because I this is something that Camilla and I differ. I think uh, I don't know that I would be able to keep my cool in such a scary situation um i think she's just a really confident gal i think she's a cool gal she keeps her head on straight you know in times of crisis i don't really know how she does it but um she's a little cooler than i am <laughs> i'm just saying she she's she's in there trying to go through this like like they're not even there it was crazy i'm i'm screaming out loud i'm like how is she doing this she's focusing on you know the task at hand she's got her eyes on the prize and you know she's got to get out of that building um, get to safety, get to a man, and carry on her life. So that's how she's getting through it, I guess. Well, if she's doing some sort of cool yoga or something, you need to let that secret out, because I think we could all use a little bit of that. <laughs> I'll have to ask her and see. There you go, there you go. Now, there's plenty of examples on The Flash that you don't need powers to make a difference. So instead of asking you what powers you might want Camilla to have, do you think it would be just, do you, do you think it would just be better for her to be stronger without them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, as an actor, selfishly, I think it'd be really cool for Camilla to have powers just to be able to, like, play that and play with it. But I think as a character choice, it's a really strong choice to have characters like Camilla, like Iris, who don't have powers to, yeah, exactly what you said, prove that you don't need powers to be a hero um, or to be strong or to be brave. Um, I really like that they've given, the writers have given Camilla a lot of you know, really intense situations that she's been able to rise to the occasion without her powers and um, support those that do and still be just as valuable of a member to Team Flash or Team Citizen, even though she doesn't really have anything superpower about her. 
Absolutely. Now, Victoria, this is the kind of the time of year. It's not just, you know, Christmas time, but it's also the time where everybody's releasing their, everybody seems to have their best of moments of 2019 list or best of 2019 list. So what do you feel like is Camilla's best moment of 2019? I would say I would say it's a tie between helping the go figure out how to take down Echo or getting out of that Bentley building with uh, with um, with Cecile because that was a pretty that was a pretty badass moment with the oh, bar yeah. on the door yeah. and the running away and yeah that was pretty intense that that was a really fun scene to shoot it's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I think, I, think, I think those are two pretty darn good choices. But you talked about um, what, what went on with Cisco and, and Camilla during the summer and how we didn't really get to see that. But we've seen her role expand so much over the show. Do you think that maybe at some point we'll get to learn more about her family, her backstory, a little bit more about her than we know now? Yeah, I mean, we haven't shot anything like that yet, but I definitely think that there's potential for it. And I would personally love that. You know, I've done a lot of work on my backstory for myself as an actor. Um, but, you know, Camilla's not in the comic books, and she doesn't have this backstory already written for herself, so I think it'd be something that would be really interesting to explore, for sure. Is that kind of freeing for you, though, that the, the pressure's kind of off, that, that, that Camilla's kind of a new character being brought in to an existing story, so you don't have that, like, I have to be a certain way because that's how this character was in the comic? Yeah, definitely. It's super freeing. Um, you know, I think just as, it's really exciting to obviously be a part of the comic book world, and um, I'm sure it would be exciting to play somebody who already has you know, been, been represented in such a way, but um, the fact that I can be a part of that world but then completely create this character from nothing is, is really freeing and really fun. Now, Victoria, before I let you go, there's two parts left in Crisis on Infinite Earths, which, of course, will be back on January the 14th, and then The Flash returns on February the 4th. So, no spoilers, but how excited were you when you first read that post-crisis script? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, the whole, you know, the whole first half of the season was leading up to Crisis, and really the, the whole first five seasons, you know, everyone knows that Crisis, crisis on Infinite Earths is such a big story and so to be able to cover it was something that we were really excited about um the post-crisis arc um takes on a completely new life um obviously we have to deal with the fall of post-crisis and that is really interesting and exciting but there's a whole new big bad that comes in and um i think people will be really excited about what it is obviously i can't give away any spoilers but reading all those scripts and getting really into it um we're a couple of episodes in now some of my favorite episodes that we've shot are coming up, and I'm really excited to see what people think about it. Look at that. She didn't even slip up at all. She didn't say he, she. She said it was, it is. <laughs> man, man she, you, you really thought this through. <laughs> I'm well trained. Yeah, you can't, off, you, know? you can't pull one over on Victoria, and you can't pull one over on Camilla either. We'll see her back on The Flash when new episodes return on February the 4th. It's Victoria Park. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Having me, it was really fun. Yeah, we're not gonna get any spoilers out of Victoria Park, whether it's crisis or post crisis. Yeah, she wasn't gonna give every, anything away, but we do know that there's gonna be a new big bad. We did get some other great information. Maybe we'll get to find out more about Camilla's backstory. It's really interesting how much she's played a role in this season of The Flash and how her and Cisco's relationship just has such a strong bond. And let's face it, like Victoria said, she's had some badass moments 
in this show already. I'm hoping that that continues for Camilla when the Flash returns on February the 4th. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You can always find out more from us by going to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, by following us on social media, at downandnerdy757 on Instagram and on Twitter, and facebook.com slash downandnerdy. Just a reminder, next week's episode is our best of interview moments of 2019. Going to pick the top 10 and give you little snippets of those. And I got to tell you, it's going to be a really tough choice this year. That's one of the things I'm going to be doing during my Christmas is trying to figure out what some of the best interview moments are of 2019. If you want to throw your opinions into the mix, tweet me at downandnerdy757. Let me know what you one of your favorite moments was. And who knows? Maybe it'll make the cut. But for now, have a wonderful and happy holiday, whatever you're celebrating. I hope it is a merry one. And don't forget, even in the holidays, it's you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.